I was told in residency that, quote, women are complicated, quote, which I think is kind of a cop out because you're like, well, if they're too complicated, clearly we can't figure it out. Right. And like it's, it's not worth figuring out because we'll never know. And so it's kind of this excuse to like not again, not pay attention to women's pleasure. So I really started to figure it out when I had patients that had these help. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is everywhere. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to share a great opportunity brought to you by my, my dear friend and classmate, Jimmy Turner, over at The Physician Philosopher. This is for all the physicians out there who are trying to find balance but are overwhelmed by the daily to-do list and all their responsibilities as partners, parents, and physicians. Or maybe you are doing okay, but you want to be doing great. Does this sound like you? If so, then Alpha Coaching Experience is the answer you have been looking for. This 12-week coaching program includes weekly group coaching and one-on-one coaching sessions, plus a course library full of coaching tools. It's one of the only programs with doctors coaching doctors. So if you are looking to reduce your burnout, improve your satisfaction in life, and create a life you love and deserve, don't wait. Spring enrollment is on sale now. The doors for Alpha Coaching close on February 22nd at midnight. For more information, go to drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash alpha. That's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash alpha. Hello, friends. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. She is a board-certified urologist and the host of her own podcast, You Are Not Broken. She teaches sex and the power of the mind on living your best love life. She is also a supportive and loving wife to a geophysicist of 15 years and a mother to two strong little girls. She has harnessed the power of coaching and mindset to uncover the secrets to fitness and then learned that coaching and mindset help improve the biggest sex organ of all, the brain. So here she is. Welcome, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Thanks for having me. Okay, Kelly, tell us your story. Who are you and where did you come from? I am a Minnesota girl. I spent most of my life trying not to freeze. I'm still cold. I live in the Pacific Northwest and I have like three layers on and like a blanket. (laughs) So I spend most of my life trying to stay warm because of my upbringing. Um, Went to med school undergrad in Minnesota, then did urology six years residency in Denver, Colorado, where I met my husband, love of my life. We thought we were totally going to stay in Denver because it's gorgeous. But the commutes were getting longer, people were filling up Denver, and we needed the next adventure. So my chief resident actually took a job in the Pacific Northwest and kind of recruited me slowly. And my husband said, 
well, let's go, let's try it out. If we hate it, we'll leave. And that was 2012. So going on nine years now. Wow. And okay, what, where is the Pacific Northwest exactly? Pacific Northwest in general is the coasts of Oregon, Washington, and Northern California. Those are kind of like the definition of Pacific Northwest. I'm in the uppermost corner. I'm 20 miles from the Canadian border in Bellingham. Wow. So you do, you, do you guys go to Canada for fun? Well, when the border was open. But yeah, we go to Canada for fun. And Whistler's like two and a half hours away. Oh, how cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell us and tell us about your husband. He's a, yeah, so he's a geophysicist. Um, he does math for fun and for a living, which to me, it was just a topic to get you into med school, right? I'm like, you mean physics? Like, is applicable? <laughs> And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's actually how we explain our world. And I'm like, I don't know. Seemed like just like a class I had to take. <laughs> so you know, he constantly reminds me that the true sciences are chemistry and physics and not, not biology or medicine. Oh, hmm. okay. So when did you guys meet? How did, how and when did you meet? Yeah. So I, I was, this is a good story. So I, in med school was in Kathmandu going to Everest Space Camp and I was having a gin and tonic on the roof of a hotel in Kathmandu with like the most amazing doctor in the world because she started the clinic for Sherpas at the Everest Space Camp. Camp. Her name's uh, Luann Freer, Dr. Luann Freer. And she were having a drink and she's like, yeah, I'm meeting a guy in Kathmandu that I met on Match.com. And I had like broken up with my med school boyfriend and was moving to Denver and was like unattached. And I was like, okay, if the coolest person, doctor person in the world can meet somebody on Match.com, then Match.com is probably okay for me. <laughs> so I signed up and I was actually then in Uganda and he was in like Armenia when we met because we were both based in Denver and the rest is history. And so I knew I wasn't going to date a, a surgeon, right? I like, I didn't want two crazy schedules. I didn't want to date anybody in the hospital. So I was kind of keen to not date another physician. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, people married to physicians. Mine was, mine was like an active attempt to like not. <laughs> no, but you knew what you wanted. Knew what I wanted. So yeah, he has, he has a day job with like holidays off and no call. You were in Uganda and he was Armenia? In Armenia, yeah, because he was doing like field work for geophysics. How long was it until you guys actually met? And then where did you? Well, we met up in Denver, like my when I moved there, first week of my intern year. And how long had you been online dating? Oh, just like, you know, a month or something. Because I set up my account when I was like, okay, I'm going to be in Denver. Location, Denver. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. And he kind of knew who's going to be in Denver too. Okay. Yeah. And so why did you fall in love? Oh, he's my rock. He's just my calm, smooth sailing. Like nothing shakes him. He's got me. I can fail and it's okay. Like I'm his forever. And you knew this when you met him. No, I mean, no, he was just like super hot. <laughs> he was super hot and very, very smart. You know, like Stanford, Stanford masters, smart. Well, you know, physics for a living, right? Physics is how he like sees the world. Um, so he was smart and he was, and he was very good looking. But, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, I, I needed to marry this person, 100%. Oh, okay. So yeah, looks, the attraction at first, then the brains, you became your rock and you're calm. And what was your first year of marriage like? Was it everything you thought it would be? Was it easy, hard? What did you learn? I think it was easy. I mean, I got, I, you know, I, I think I got married older. When did I get married? 30. My, so I had an aunt and my aunt, when I was little, like 
preteen or teen was like, don't get married till you're 30. And I like took that as a fact. Like that was like a fact in my world. So I got married when I was literally 30 um, because my aunt told me she might've, you know, hurt me or something. So we get married when you're 30, check the box. That's what I did. And, but I had dated enough people, right? I had dated the person I thought I was going to be with in med school. And so like, you kind of just know after a while, you're not new at the game anymore. Right. And you're like, I got this person. And so I, we were actually just talking this week. I was like, I knew when I met you because we were explaining to like another couple, like, did, did you know when you met him? Right. And I'm like, I knew. I totally knew. And he's like calling me on it. He's like, I don't know if you did. I'm like, I think I did. <laughs> well, how many years later did you guys get married or months or months or years? Um, we were together two and a half years before we got married. So it took a little bit of time for you to maybe think about it, him to think about one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're a, you're a med student doctor, surgeon, you you don't really like just jump into stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, there's some planning involved. There's a lot of delayed gratification that goes into like that behavior. Okay, well, so yeah, let's move into being a female urologist and sex expert. So share your views on the importance of intimacy in a marriage and the biggest challenges you notice surrounding this topic. I think a lot of people well, first of all, nobody nobody learns about sex, right? Like sex ed is basically fear-based in our culture. Like don't get pregnant, don't get a disease. And we, we don't have a lot of knowledge of pleasure, certainly female pleasure, and then certainly pleasure and intimacy in long-term relationships. And so a lot of people go along and there are things get in the way, right? Like jobs and mortgages and kids and illnesses. And all those other pressures that come along with just living your life and getting older and, and not being in the throes of an early romance anymore. And intimacy really gets put on the back burner until it's gone, right? And then a lot of people realize, oh my gosh, I have a roommate. And you really, you have a roommate instead of an intimate partner. And getting that back is very, very challenging for people. So my whole thing for you know people would be like, try to work on it before you get to that point. Cause it's, it is a lot more work when you're like, I've completely neglected this part of me. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it actually does take work. Just like staying, like if I could just go to the gym once and have ripped biceps, like that would be fantastic. Right? Like, Oh, I was sexually attracted to you in 2012. Why do I need to work on it now? Right? It's like, Cause you need to keep going to the gym. You need to keep cultivating intimacy to keep that going. It's not, everybody has this myth that sex is supposed to be easy. And it's really not, especially when you look at, you know, the work of Esther Perel, she's a great example of the work of long-term relationships are actually challenging to have good sex in, or like what a good marriage is can actually be very challenging to what good sex is because of the familiarity and the routine and knowing that person's not going to leave kind of all those things that are the opposite of what cultivating desire is. Ah, yeah. And you bring up some important points here. I mean, all these mortgages, jobs, kids, illnesses, all the day to day, the routine, the mundane, they get in the way and you're like, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it next week. And then it's gone. Yeah. Or people will say, I'll do it when I feel like it. Right. Which is a lot. I mean, I use a lot of exercise analogies because I think mindful work for me came first in the fitness realm and sex and exercise are so similar. But it's like if you waited around to get motivated to exercise, most people wouldn't do it, even professional athletes. Right. It's like waiting for that motivation is not what you need in order to do it. And same with sex is like waiting for spontaneous desire to show up. It's not going to show up. 
<laughs> by, by definition, spontaneous desire decreases over time, decreases with uh, hormone changes, decreases with long-term relationships. So if people are like, well, I'll have sex when I like have spontaneous desire to have sex, it's not going to happen. Ah, okay. And is that true for females and males? Both, both. Yeah. And you know, the, the, for men too, because men stereotypically think they should always have spontaneous desire. And there are a, quite a decent fraction of men that also have responsive desire where they're not always thinking about it all the time. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that something's wrong with them. It just means their brain is working in the forebrain of like job, career, to-do list, parent, you know, PTA, <laughs> like all these things that aren't where sex resides in our body and in our brain. Ah, okay. So what do you tell, I mean, your patients, your clients that have that or to think that their desire is not normal. It's either like too high or too low. Yeah. There's no normal. That's what's so great about sex. There's literally no normal, but what happens is society and especially Hollywood, right? Or parents or religion, all of these things tell us what we think normal should be right? Mammals are, or humans are just mammals and mammals learn by repeating people and by kind of emulating things. And when that's your role model and you don't fit it, you don't fit the Hollywood like dual orgasm in two minutes with penetrative sex. You're like, I'm broken. And instead of like, well, do you think it might be Hollywood that's like portraying something that's not accurate? <laughs> you know? And that's what's so fun. Like the sex med of it all of like, oh, turns out all these things that we think are normal they're not reality. Okay. Now, did you learn this stuff when becoming a urologist? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> this was like, you were so in urology, we deal with erections. And I was told in residency that, quote, women are complicated, quote, which I think is kind of a cop out because you're like, well, if they're too complicated, clearly we can't figure it out. Right. And like, it's, it's not worth figuring out because we'll never know. And so it's kind of this excuse to like, not again, not pay attention to women's pleasure. Um, so I really started to figure it out when I had patients that had, that had these help. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is everywhere. You know, as far as, you know, doctoring and healthy bodies, it's like sleep, diet, exercise, sex. It's in there. It's in the top four of like th things almost everybody does. We have very little knowledge about what's normal. So what do you think most patients who are going to the urologist for this type of topic, like what are they told? I think it's, a, I think it's not encouraged because doctors, first of all, we didn't get any education on it, right? Like I'm in the pelvis all the time and I didn't get any education on it. So I don't expect anybody else, let alone primary care, to like be, a, be sex experts. So I think there's all just a lot of lack of knowledge. I think, you know, the classic thing that people get told is, oh, just take a, have a glass of wine. Like that's the, the, that's the answer to a good sex life. And that's a double-edged sword. Like I really do understand where it's coming from. Like what alcohol does just to get like sidelined, sorry, but what alcohol does is it focuses you on the moment. You don't care about tomorrow and you don't care about yesterday. And those are the two biggest reasons that women can't focus on enjoying sex is because they're planning about tomorrow and they're thinking about what had already happened. They can't get in the moment. Alcohol focuses you. It makes you myopic. So for a little bit, alcohol does really help you focus on the moment, which is orgasms can't happen in the future or the past. They have to happen in the moment. Your brain has to be on the moment. But alcohol is also a depressant and it can inhibit orgasm. 
So it's not the answer, but I like it for showing kind of what alcohol does in in concordance with how orgasms happen. Okay. And so did you realize um, after going through residency or after so many years in trainings that this is, or after um, so many years, like after training and being an attending, did you realize this is kind of something you wanted to focus on or how did that come about? Yeah, I actually had a patient. I had a bladder cancer patient who like, she was cured from bladder cancer and her big issue was she had a couple of different problems, but one of them was just lack of desire. And I'm like, I have no idea how to help this person. And I was very you know, close to her and bonded to her because of working through bladder cancer with her. And now knowing that cancer is really starting, they're starting to notice how little we pay attention to sexual side effects or sexual consequences of living and surviving cancer. So that's kind of becoming a big thing. But because of that patient, I was like, I know nothing and I need to figure it out. And so I just started on my learning journey and then it got to be to the like, it's so ubiquitous that me seeing people in clinic, I can't change the world and educate all these women. They all come in not, not just not having knowledge, but having the wrong knowledge, thinking that they're the problem. And realizing actually that low desire or responsive desire or the changes with menopause, it's all incredibly common. So that's where the podcast, the website, kind of all that came from. Because I'm like, I need to help women who don't live next to me and maybe don't even need me as a doctor. They just need to know like, oh, what I'm experiencing is so common. And just feeling like you're not broken in and of itself is helpful. So, and then going back to being the female urologist again, because I mean, that's, there's a pretty low percentage, right? Among urologists that who are female. Yep. It's less than 10% of board certified urologists right now. There's about a thousand of us. And so what was your biggest obstacle you had to overcome becoming a female urologist? Man, I, I have no idea. Like to me, it was never really something I couldn't do. I was, so the boyfriend in med school, I was like, I think I want to be a urologist. It was like urology, ER, OB. Those were my top three. I was like, I think I might be a urologist. If I am a urologist, like if I make it there, because it's very competitive, I'm like, I'll buy you a pair of skis. He's like, okay. So like, I kind of made it a bet. I guess I just needed to like put it out there and manifest it. Anyways, we broke up and he never got his skis. Sorry, dude. (laughs) But, But yeah, I mean, I think one of them is just society's misperceptions, right? Like I don't see myself as like a small person. I feel like I have a pretty strong personality, but I am literally a very small human. And people's misperception of like, I have to wear a white coat be- and the men don't because they never get called nurse, right? And just those things of like, it's just the world we live in. And, you know, but I, I guess that's always so interesting to me. It's like, I don't, I don't feel small. <laughs> but I'm a very small urologist, which is a selling point of like, I've got the smallest hands in the business. How tall are you, Kelly? I'm five, six. Oh, five, six. Oh, that's not super small. And what surprised you the most when you're studying urology? How uncomfortable everybody else was with it. Like urology is like, people were like, I could never look at that or talk about that or do that. And I'm like, whatever. It's just a bot. Like it just never bothered me. This is why you became a urologist. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it's just the, it's just the pelvis. Like I, I don't, I don't like the neck. <laughs> so I guess that's what people think about urology. <laughs> Like the neck really complicated. This is why you have the podcast educating all women about their bodies. Yeah. I'm like, it's just a clitoris. Oh, I was telling one of my patients, I'm like, 
because she was talking about her, I don't know, somehow her husband, like the penis came up. And I'm like, you realize penises are just big clitorises. Like we all started out as clitorises and then like the testosterone made the penis. So everybody actually started out as clitorises. And she was like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, it's, how cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, does the, so did you think that helped her or how how did we, did she a pa- uh, one of your patients you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, you know, when, when things aren't named and when think people aren't educated on it, number one, it can become shameful. And number two, you can't talk about it. Right. And I think that's the way with clitoris. I mean, if you look at medical textbooks, this, even OB textbooks, the accurate description of the clitoris is horrifically missing. So, so it's like, even amongst doctors, like this is an organ that is not even described well in the medical literature. Like you know, from that perspective, I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess it is challenging to be in this field of like people don't even learn about this. Fifty percent of the population has one. We should know more about it. So how do you? I mean, how do you educate your patients and clients? Say they come to you for advice and they're in that kind of point in their marriage where they maybe do feel like roommates. How? What kind of advice do you give them? Um, for them, I mean. The, the nice, you know, as being a doctor is like, I don't have an hour to talk to people about coaching and their mind, but I know enough about it now to send them to resources. So I have so many books and, you know, that's where sex therapists come in. For my job in the clinic is just to say, this is totally common and totally normal, but nobody can give you your desire, right? Like, I think a lot of women go around like looking for the answer. Like if I see the right doctor, they'll give me my desire back. Like it's this missing kitten or something, but it's like the desire comes from within. It's something you work at, you cultivate with your partner and you have to do the hard work. But if you just sit back passively and be like, I don't know what happened. Maybe somebody will give my, you know, libido back. It's like, that's not how it works. So I I do a lot of just normalizing um, behavior. Okay. And then when you do have an hour or with your coaching clients, you guys go deeper. Oh yeah. So fun. And then how does that, so how does that look? How does that look? Um, We talk a lot about limiting beliefs, right? And so then there's so many limiting beliefs in sex, like, oh, I'm not supposed to, oh, people have sex for their partner, right? That's one thing. Um, It's like sex is actually supposed to be for both people to enjoy. And I think a lot of women, and I, I mean, I hate to stereotype, I'm sorry, I'm using a lot of heterosexual, cisgendered pronouns here. I but sometimes generalizations help. Um, but I think a lot of women are having really bad sex. And, and I think that is, if you're having bad sex, what, how I define bad sex is it's not enjoyable for you, right? You're doing it for somebody else. You're doing it as a to-do list. You're doing it because you're giving, right? Again, and you give to your kids, you give to your job, you give to your husband. It's just another give. And it's not about you. Sex is you're not going to want to do something that's not fun, right? And so I think a lot of women, in because they're having bad sex, then they're like, I don't want sex. And it's like, what kind of sex are you actually having, right? And another thing about desire is a lot of experts will argue you don't need any desire at all. Like some sex models for female don't even describe desire in it. And it's like, if you go to have sex with your partner and it's a great time and you enjoy it and you're both satisfied, whatever that means to you, you didn't even need to have desire. You had a great time. And I think people are, they're so hung up on like, where is this desire? And until I have desire, I can't have sex. And it's like, the experts don't even think desire really plays into it at all. 
it's just more of our society saying like how you're supposed to, you're supposed to be this like Hollywood 20 year old forever. Yeah. That's why we're all getting Botox and fillers and okay. So, and then I know you also love to talk about love languages too. Oh, aren't they awesome? Tell me a little bit about why you think these are important and if your line of work fits into this. Um, so love languages, there's five love languages. I'm always get put on the spot when I try to remember what they are, but basically they describe how you like to receive love and also how you tend to give love. Right. And so it's really important in a relationship to be like, I actually, I mean, I'll use me as an example. I'm words of affirmation, right? Like tell me I'm pretty, I'm a good doctor and I'm a great mom. And I'm like yours forever. (laughs) But if your part, if your spouse doesn't speak that love language, because if you, then it's, you're not receiving it and they might be doing things to give you love and you're not seeing it as that. Right. And so it's, let's see if we can do it. It's uh, words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, touch. And then acts of service, what you acts just Acts of service. Yeah. So if, a, if your partner's just acts of servicing you all day long. And so it's like, oh, the dishes are made, the dinner's cleaned up, the car has gas in it, and you don't see that as them giving you love, you're like, yeah, whatever, (laughs) you know? But they're like, I'm doing this for you because I love you. I'm not doing it for anybody else. I would never do this for anybody else, you know? And so it's like, love languages really helps, I think, a couple realize how how you both give and receive love. My husband always jokes whenever I bring this up that like, he, he doesn't really know, so he just tries to do all of them. <laughs> He's just like, I'm just going to do all of them so I can just cover all my bases. Sounds like a lot of energy. <laughs> he is a very high energy person. High energy person can do that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you know, it also goes into kids, right? So if you don't have a partner right now, but you like how your kids receive love, how you show love to your kids. Um, so it's very, very cool. And I've also heard you say, Kelly, don't treat your marriage like you treat your employees. What does that mean? Can Describe that. I mean, especially for doctors, right? Like we are used to giving commands and getting things done. And so you're doing that all day. Like you're making decisions, you're making commands, you're getting things done. And then you come home and you're like, I'm making decisions and making commands and nothing's getting done. Like this hospital would fail. <laughs> Yes. Where is the efficiency Where here? Where is the efficiency in this, right? And so to like really realize like that's not actually how it might work best. And it, you know, especially I can I'm I can speak for surgeons cuz I'm a surgeon, but like if you behave like a surgeon to your spouse, they might not like it. Tip. <laughs> Tip. Well, let's shift the to- the talk into a little bit about money because after all this is called medicine, marriage, and money. So what are your thoughts about money? And are they similar or different than your husband's? So I, I came from a very, I would say, lower middle class, right? Like it was definitely a scarcity mindset, hand-me-downs. Like, so you, I think your childhood really develops what your view on money is. And money, like sex, there's a lot of limiting beliefs, right? And once you start seeing where you're coming from, that's where the growth happens, um, so I came from that. So it was very much like scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. Um, and he didn't, he came from very comfortable, like everything there's, there's enough. Uh, and I think there's definitely a much more of a calm with him. Cause that's his mindset of like, yeah, it's gonna be fine. We work hard. It's gonna be fine. 
And so to balance that and be like, oh, you mean not everybody has a scarcity mindset with money? Like, huh. <laughs> What's that like? What's that like? Yeah. But don't, yeah, that's the thing with sex and money, right? Like don't assume that your partner is speaking your language on that. And, and realizing that, that that person might have separate views and having that conversation can be really fun and also a big avenue for growth. So how did you hop on the same page or how did you guys meet your scarcity and his abundance? Did you have to kind of shift your mindset or did he help out at all? I think we just, yeah, I, I don't think it was like us needing to be on the same page as much as we just have quarterly meetings. We have quarterly meetings with Excel spreadsheets and like, what are our goals? And, and oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It doesn't everybody. Okay. Tell us what these quarterly meetings look like. We just sit down, we just sit down, look at our finances and be like, are, are we on track? How are we doing? And that way it's like, because it's scheduled, there isn't any like, honey, we need to talk about this. Like, cause there's always just going to be a meeting. Right. And it's okay if there's really not that much to talk about. So instead of like needing to put out a fire or like change great, it's like, oh, we just meet four times a year. Wow. And is this on your, do you put this on your Google calendar or like, is it a certain day of the of a certain month? Uh, it's just the first of every quarter. The first of every quarter. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm like, doesn't everybody do this? <laughs> Isn't this the manual they gave you on, the, on your wedding night? You and I talk about finances a lot, probably more than quarterly, but we don't have the scheduled meetings yeah, they look different. They look different. But that's 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 nice. First every quarter. Okay. And so what do you guys do like each to contribute to the uh, the financial load in your home? Like pay the bills, do the investments in terms of your saving or where your paychecks go? Yeah, we're just all in it together. So you just kind of do it together. Yeah, we're just a team. We don't have any separate anything. And he's okay with then how you spend your money and you're okay with how he spends or the mutual money. Yep. But I think, you know, we're both pretty like conservative and I care. I'm not going to, he, he trusts and knows me enough that like, especially with my scarcity mindset, right. I'm not going to go do something crazy because that's just not who I am. So there's just a lot of trust in each other of like, we're just kind of on the same boat. And nobody's going to rock it. Maybe that's, maybe that's too easy. We maybe need to find somebody who's more challenged with that, but it's like, I don't have a, we're not going to go splurge on anything. What do you spend? Do you spend money on anything that brings you joy? Oh yeah, I get I get massages every month. I've been doing that since '09. Totally cured my shoulder pain from surgery. Oh, oh, from performing surgery. Yeah, just like you know, being like lifting your shoulders up and being hunched over. I started getting some shoulder pain in '09, probably third year of residency, and I got a massage. And yeah, like I think it's all woo woo. We like, what's that gonna do? And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I know, I know a lot of sonographers that have to go get monthly massages because they're like pushing down on the patient with their probe. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, it's just been consistent monthly massages. I definitely miss that in the in COVID, right? Because that didn't happen. And so now I can just tell I'll get tight if I don't do that. So I'd say that's a big one for me. And soy, soy caramel lattes. That's my other love language. Soy caramel lattes. I'm going to have to try one of those. Oh, there can there's like a liquid candy bar. Don't start. <laughs> well, okay. Are there any other big take home points we haven't mentioned yet? I yeah, I think a big one, if I can help anybody, the big one is don't try to change your spouse. I learned that. I learned that super early, probably around marriage time. So I was like, I was trying to, you know, have him do something. Uh -huh. And he looked at me and he's like, Don't try to change me. It won't happen. And, and the love that can be created because you know you're not going to try to change that person and you're going to love them exactly for who they are, that is the best thing ever. 
Now, do you remember what it was you wanted him to do? Nope. Can't even remember. I can't even remember, but I remember the lesson from it. And he he resisted it. And God bless him for doing that, right? I think a lot of people don't. But he was just like, this is who I am. Don't try to change me. And like from that instant, I was like, love you for who you are. Never, I never need you to be anybody except for who you are. Wow. It sounds like he was black and white about it. Like he wasn't. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a physicist. <laughs> <laughs> and so then and then he never tries to change you is that is that true yeah i'd say that's pretty true like i truly feel like he loves me for who i am and you and you discovered that early on in marriage Super early on and i think I, you know looping that back into sex i think again stereotypically women really try to put a lot of shoulds on their spouse uh, well, I don't like that he's doing this, so I'm not going to have sex with him. I don't like that he's doing this, so I don't like him right now. And it's like, you don't have to live like that. Just If you can truly love somebody for who they are and enjoy having sex with them for that part of it and not need them to fit X, Y, and Z for sex to happen, I hope that helps people. Oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Dr. Casperson, for coming on our show today. Absolutely. And where can we find you for all of our listeners? Totally. Uh, the You Are Not Broken podcast, which is on iTunes, Spotify, all your podcast things. And then kellycaspersonmd.com. Oh, Instagram at kellycaspersonmd as well. Okay, perfect. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is so special. Thanks for having me. As a reminder, today's sponsor is the Alpha Coaching Experience. Act now to claim your spot in the spring enrollment before the doors close on February 22nd at midnight. There is no better time than now to make the change you know you deserve to be a better partner, parent, and physician. Enroll today at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash alpha. That's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash alpha. a beautiful session. Thank you so much, Kelly, Dr. Casperson. That was amazing. And especially for Valentine's week, I know Valentine's day was yesterday, but we can celebrate it all week and all month here at Medicine, Marriage, and Money or in your house. So let's go ahead and review her three big take-home points. Number one, no one can give you more sexual desire. This comes from within you, discovering your limiting beliefs. Don't treat your spouse like you treat your employees, especially if you're a surgeon and you're used to giving people orders all, all day. <laughs> That's what Dr. Casperson said, not me. She's the surgeon. As opposed to, well, do you remember back when Dr. Letizia and Kenji came on my show and they said, treat your marriage like a business with creativity, innovation? Well, that's a little bit different. Dr. Casperson is talking about if you're a surgeon, and you're barking orders at your employees. Don't treat your spouse like that. They will not appreciate it. Number three, don't try to change your spouse. We all have done this. We all may still be doing this. The love that can be created when you just love your spouse exactly the way they are 
is infinite. Just imagine the ways you can start loving your spouse today exactly the way they are. That is it, friends. Thank you so much for listening to me and Dr. Casperson today. It was such a fun and lively conversation. I hope you take some points home and into the bed room. (laughs) Share this with anybody who may want to listen to it. Share it with your friends, those who you feel comfortable sharing this content with. And always visit me. Visit me at medicinemarriageandmoney.com. Visit me on Facebook, Instagram. I am here. I am here for you. I love you guys. And I always appreciate feedback. You're welcome to email me at katemangona at medicinemarriageandmoney.com and tell me your suggestions. Tell me what you want to hear. Let me know if you have if you have anything you want me to address on this episode or if there are any particular guests you think I should invite on here. I would love to hear it. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, Is sex easy for us? Am I having bad sex? Do I enjoy sex? Do I try to change my spouse? That's out. That's it. Peace out. Have a happy Valentine's weeks. Make it last. Make it last the whole month, the whole year, your whole life. Spread your wings, fly away. Spread love and intimacy, passion into your world and your bedroom. Much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.